So last week was uh, Easter. It's meant to be the most important, most significant event that human history has ever experienced. Jaw-dropping, isn't it? You know, the thing I like about the scriptures, the Bible, is that it's actually less spiritual and religious than sometimes we get. The Bible and the contents of the scriptures are, are very messy. They're full of contradiction in the sense of human beings struggling to work out who God is and God continually reaching out to human beings and continually saying, I'm here for you. And as Carol shared, you know, about life, life comes along almost every hour and you get thrown off balance and without God we end up trying to control our circumstances to make our lives happy or, or we're motivated in our lives by the cruise we're going on in two years' time or the retirement we're saving for in 15 years and we kind of go, when I get there then I'm going to be happy. I remember I used to say, if I got to Canada, I'm going to be happy. Uh, that was great, yeah. But wherever we are thinking we're going to be happy, we end up finding we're still there. And happiness isn't about my arrival at a destination in the geographical. And so God has created every human being to have within them a spirit. And what he's trying to activate is that spirit so that it becomes the source of our security and our life and our hope and our peace in the midst of whatever circumstances come up. And as Carol well described, we always are getting thrown off course and it's like our God positioning system, our GPS of the spirit, having to be recalibrated and go, it's all right, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Peace, be still, I'm here. And learning how to do that. And so we're often asking God, we're saying, well, I've got these obstacles and these things are happening. Why don't you care? Why aren't you working? And he's saying, I am present and we are working. But why don't you hurry up? The disciples followed Jesus for three years. The one, the, you know, the one caveat I would put to that movie that I'm talking about as seeing is it's, the truth is God can use everybody. So they go, God's spirit is in you. Go out and use it. The part that we tend to miss, and this is the part that this is this creative tension, is that the disciples spent three years with Jesus, day and night, having to work out something of their characters so that they could carry that presence of God with them and they didn't totally destroy the people they were going to minister to. And there's part of our world where we want the anointing and we want to go out and, and do things, but actually we can get in the way by the way we do stuff. And so we can't get around the process that God has us in. And he, has, he had his disciples in that process as well. So the disciples have gone to the cross. They basically, if you want to see post, you know, post-traumatic stress, the disciples would have qualified. It was horrific what they were exposed to. That this man who they loved and served and gave their lives for and followed for three years and began to have so much hope gets totally destroyed by the Romans who they're already afraid of. They have grown up under the Romans. The Romans are brutal. And their hope was dashed when they thought Jesus was going to break through. He was going to be the Messiah according to the, the prophetic words of Israel and he gets crucified. And just like everybody else, the Romans win. And sometimes our lives like that. We go, this is great theory, but damn it, every time something goes wrong, it seems to win. And doubts rise up and I go, is there really God? And then I listen to people's testimonies and you go, it sounds wonderful, but my life doesn't. 
And what the Bible gives us room for and what this reading we're looking at today gives us room for is to say there's room for you when you feel like that. You don't have to smarten up, button your lip and just go, oh, well, praise Jesus anyway. That is insipid. Why? Because you, you're called, you and I are called to be authentic. Lip service doesn't lead you into maturity. Authenticity leads you into maturity. And authenticity is about saying, I'm struggling here, but where we learn through maturity is even while I'm struggling here, I can still worship here. But that's learning how to walk in faith, but not walking in a blind faith that hopes in something when I have no clue how it's hard. And then it's not hard. It's not hard when you actually give up, when you surrender, when you say, but God, I trust you. And the only way that you actually grow in faith ultimately is to know the character of the God who holds you. If you know the character of the God who holds you, then it's like a child with a parent. As long as I'm in the parent's arms, I feel secure. No matter where we might be going, he just says, I'm with you, I've got you. And so these disciples are in this place that they've never been before. They're in one of these, Lord, lead me into deeper waters, and they go, this is awful. Because Jesus is dead. And your hope is dashed and your mind is blown and there's nothing that you know where to reference other than you're caught in fear. And so on that early morning of, the, of, of Easter, Mary goes to, to basically pay her respects and maybe, I don't know what she probably knew what she was doing. She just went because she loved Jesus and she was totally grief-stricken. And she gets to this empty tomb and we know that Jesus appears to her and she doesn't even recognize him and she, she thinks he's the gardener. She says, where have you laid him? Because resurrection isn't on her radar. If, if you and I are following Jesus and we only let him do what's on our radar, we will never experience anything supernatural. But he knows that, so he's not kind of getting angry. He just goes, you watch. And so Mary says, are you the gardener? Or I think you're the gardener. Will you... Will you where have you put him? And then Jesus speaks, Mary. And that one word from that one voice just blows her mind. And she melts because it's Jesus. She recognizes the voice, Rabboni. She just grabs him. And he says, don't hold on to me. Go and tell the others. Powerful moment of revelation. And she must have been exploding on every level of what on earth? Hope, joy, trauma. And then she goes to the, tells the disciples, and in the Middle East that is so insulting, if you have any spiritual truth, you don't tell a woman. Seriously, you don't tell a woman. But in Eden, God told a man and he messed it up. So in the resurrection, he thought, I'll use a woman. Because the men and women are made in his image together. He doesn't have favorites. Together we reflect the fullness of God. Yes. Amen. And so, so Mary runs and tells the disciples, and then John always has this great pleasure of saying, we ran to the grave, but I beat Peter. Why he put that in is just funny. And they find this grave empty and this tomb empty, and they come back and they go... He's not there. 
And we read about them being locked in this room out of fear. What is the fear? Well, the penalty for the tomb being empty is the guards die under Roman law. And the penalty for the tomb being empty is the disciples have stolen the body and we're out to kill them. This isn't a joyful day on many levels. It's terrifying. Because they haven't really worked out resurrection. They've worked out we're in deep trouble. And we're going to be hunted down now and we're going to be killed. And you go, why doesn't God explain it to them with an angel or something so they don't have to go through such stress? I don't know. But I do know something and that is that Much of what God teaches us goes through the embedding of experience in our lives, good, bad, and ugly. And that's one of the keys to surrender, is stop trying to work it out and stop seeing your circumstances as an expression of God's love or his favor or his lack thereof. There's mystery in it. And if you try and dot the eyes, connect the dots too quickly or too easily, you often end up with wrong conclusions. So these disciples are locked up in the room upstairs. Jesus has appeared to Mary in the morning. In the evening, Jesus comes through these walls and appears to them. And they are blown away again, obviously. And they go, whoa. He says, here I am. I am risen. And they, what do you do with that? They are amazed. They're excited. They're terrified. Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. He showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed. Then he leaves. And they go, shoot, here we are again. We're on our own. And And then there's a knock on the door and Thomas comes in and he says, Hey, we've just seen Jesus. And Thomas goes, Well, I wasn't there. Why didn't Jesus wait until Thomas was also there? I don't know. Maybe so that we could learn from Thomas. But for Thomas, it was tough. It's an invitation for us to understand that we're called into relationship with God. And that relationship is all about working out life. Jesus said to his disciples, Ask, seek, and knock. What are you going to ask? Things you don't know. What are you going to seek? Things you can't see. What are you going to knock about to get through things that you can't get through? He's already said to the disciples, you're going to have trouble in this world, but I've overcome the world and I'm with you. So these disciples are locked in this room. Jesus appears and then he goes away again and Thomas appears and he comes through the door and he finds the disciples all excited and he's the one who's not excited because he says, well, I wasn't here and unless I see and touch his, touch his side and see his hands and stuff, I'm not going to believe. And we shake our hands and say, Thomas, what's your problem? Same problem you and I have. I can tell you Jesus, believe, Jesus is real and he's alive and you go, I don't believe that. Seems weird to me. You believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. That's the culture in which we live. All our beliefs are equally relevant because we respect each other. It's called relative truth, which means there is no big truth. It's just whatever you happen to believe, which is nonsense. 
And you go, how absolutely arrogant and opinionated you are, John. And I go, absolutely, amen. I am. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Buddha isn't. Well, that's really insulting. And you go, well, neither is Hinduism. Neither is New Age. Neither is and fill in the blank. And you go, that's so arrogant. So insensitive. And I will stop there and say, you're right. I think the way we Christians talk about everybody else is insulting and wrong and rude. I don't have to insult Buddhas. I don't have to insult Islam. I don't have to insult New Age in order to be valid. Because all of these expressions are human beings crying out and possibly deception, crying out for meaning and purpose. But they can't all be true because they make a schizophrenic person into God or God... God isn't personal anywhere else other than in Jesus. So we end up with this problem which is how do we come to truth? And I think we come to truth by asking questions and having experiences and being patient with one another and respecting one another and allowing questions and allowing the expression of doubt and allowing the struggle what is a struggle for you is not necessarily a struggle for you. Some people have to think things through. Others feel them. They come in different ways to a revelation of God is real. And when he's real, the revelation of the disciples, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Jesus, you're this. Jesus, you're that. And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And you know that whole scripture that built the Catholic Church. And I'm not anti-Catholic either, but I think it's a wrong interpretation. Upon this rock I will build my church is not Peter. It's the declaration. And even Peter agreed because in his, in, his, in his book later on he writes Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He would freak out if he said, you're the cornerstone. Me? Boy, I'm a loose rock, man. I fell a number of times. Don't place anything on me. The statement is on the one who picked me up. But he had to learn that. He had to learn through his doubts. His doubts about himself and his doubts about Jesus. So he argues with Jesus, you, I'll never leave you. And then he totally messes up and the rooster crows and he has to meet Jesus on the shore of Galilee and Jesus says, Peter, 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 do you love me? Yes, I love you. Now feed my sheep. Totally different Peter. Yes, Lord. He's learned something. What were his doubts on the shore of Galilee? God will never forgive me. I have so publicly said what I would do and I've so publicly failed. He'll never use me again. And God says, oh, Peter, you don't understand. I don't rely on you. I rely on me in you. All I'm trying to get you to do is to yield to me. I just need to use you. We are so full of ourselves. We're so full of ourselves. That's meant to be a joke almost, actually. It's not meant to be heavy. It's meant to be a joke. We're so full of how bad we are, God can't possibly use us. Of course he can. If I have a pencil and I put it in the hand of Rembrandt, that pencil looks like it's an incredible instrument. But it's in the hand of Rembrandt. And all it has to do is to yield to the hand of the master and he will draw something exquisite. And he'll say, wow, what a pencil. And he goes, no, wow, what an artist. That's all this is about. You are not too bad. Don't get, get over yourself. 
you are not too bad and you're not too good either. When you start puffing yourself up and you have all kinds of opinions about what has to happen, you've just got too alive, just drop dead. And if you don't drop dead voluntarily, your circumstances will kill you. God will kill you. Because he doesn't like competition. There's only one God. And so the circumstances of our lives is what causes us to find death in the flesh. And it's hard. We can all testify to that. It wasn't easy for these disciples to follow Jesus. It wasn't easy for them to work out the resurrection. This isn't just a sweet Bible study. It's bloody difficult. Be encouraged. Life is tough at times and our circumstances are tough and we are tough at times. You go, that's, that's the way we're living. We need one another to speak life into us and hope into us when everything in us goes, we're like Thomas. Well, it's really lovely for all of you guys, but I just don't get it. And the good news today is, well, there's room for you too. If you don't hear anything else, there's room for you. You do not have to. What was great about Thomas? He had the guts to stand up and say, I'm not going to believe unless this happens. And what was great about the disciples? They didn't kick him out. And what was great about Thomas? He didn't leave in a sulk and never come back. It was very courageous of Thomas to hang out with these disciples for a week while they were talking. And I, What did they talk about? Why was Thomas not there? If you look at a few, few chapters earlier, when, when uh, who's the guy who was raised from the dead? Um, Lazarus. When Lazarus was, you know, he, he, Mary and Martha, I mean, that, that's another whole sermon of where is God? He, my, my brother is his best friend and he dies and he doesn't care. He's not even here for two days and the third day comes sauntering down the road and as if nothing's wrong. And we've been grieving for four days for our brother and he says, hi, how are you, Barry? How are you, mother? And you're going, where the heck are you? And then as they encounter him, he weeps and he just shows them another whole angle that they didn't get. He doesn't prevent, he doesn't do this all in your head. He's doing this in our hearts. And what gets into our hearts is life. If you want to see the truth of where you are, I wrote a trail on this. If you want to see the truth of your spiritual reality, it is in your heart and what overflows out of your heart right now. Everything else is fabricated. You can say whatever you like, but how you turn up inside every day, every moment, is actually the expression of your spiritual life and maturity. Period. It's easy to say love each other. Well, then love. It's easy to say lay down your life. Then lay it down. All this stuff is easy to talk about. It's easy to do on your own. It's easy to put on your earphones and listen to worship music all day long and not care about anybody. To say It's me and Jesus. The trouble is Jesus is saying, take those earphones off and engage. Oh, but then I get upset because they're not like me. I know, and I'm going to teach you how to grow up. <laughs> it's a mess. We better get used to the mess because otherwise it's awful. It's so discouraging. Isn't this a lovely word? What does, what does Jesus say? He comes into this room and he says to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Sorry, this is going to offend a few of you. Who's he talking to? I'm on a roll today. I can feel it. it. Must be Kerry and Craig are going and I'm just trying to compensate my grief. <laughs> what does he say? As the Father sent me, I send you. Who's he speaking to? 
No, not them. He's just speaking to the disciples. Okay, so, why is it offensive? Because in our age, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. It's not in the Bible. That's Satan's word. Because if he can get you on your own with Jesus, he'll take you out. And then you'll be serving Jesus in the way that Jesus doesn't even ask you to serve him. You'll become a religious irritant to everybody. You're self-anointed, self-appointed, self-proclaimed, and just irritating. Jesus sent us out together because we're stronger together. We find humility together. We find interdependence together. We need each other. This is when you say, turn to the person next to you or the person behind you and say, I need you. And you go, this is the last person I want to say that to. Which means you really need me. It's not easy letting the resurrected Jesus be Lord of my life. Because there's a lot of my life that he's trying to say needs to die. It's rooted in the wrong things. But the only way that you're going to know what's rooted in the wrong things is as you live life and see what comes up in the midst of life. So how do we, what do we learn from Thomas? Well, firstly, I just wanted to, to make that comment though. He sent, you know, he sent those disciples out together with authority. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. That's pretty powerful. And they were going to grow into that because a lot of what God declares is where he's sending us or how he's working with us, but he's also going to form us into the people who can become that. And then we have poor old Thomas who comes in afterwards and makes all these declarations. See, what's happening here is there's like this passing of the baton. Where there's, there's, a season, there's seasons of your life where it's all about me feeding on Jesus. And, you know, this is another pet, pet thing that, that in our cultures, I, I met somebody at a funeral recently who said, you know, um, yeah, we've been to your church. Uh, you know, we go to different churches. Um, and I kind of smile politely because I'm being Jesus at that point and believing for what I do not yet feel. And I, I want to go, oh, you're one of those cherry pickers. The church exists for you. You go wherever there's a nice sermon or you have a nice worship or you have this or you have that and you actually commit to nothing. Oh, hell, you're a nuisance. What happens if you actually joined somewhere and actually served and offered something? How novel is that? In season and out of season, you turned up when it's not pleasant and you turned up when it is pleasant. And you actually served. That kept, that's gone down like a lead balloon. And, uh. that's, how, that's how we grow, actually. It's called maturity. In families, if the dad leaves or the mother leaves and abandons the children, we call it abandonment. We're not impressed. We say, if you have children, be committed to them, nurture them, raise them up. Well, the same is true in spiritual life contribute because it's not just about what you read, it's about how you live, how you love, how you serve. By this they shall know that I am alive. 
not by the bumper sticker or the conference. And Thomas sat with these guys because the, the baton is being passed and what I was meaning by that was Jesus has been leading the charge. He's been doing all the stuff and now he's resurrected and he's kind of appearing to them and then disappearing. But he's kind of saying, now it's yours. And they're kind of going, I don't know whether we want to touch this. I mean, you've just blown this whole thing up. We were getting on quite nicely until you went to the cross. It was nice down in Galilee. We were giving people bread and we were healing them. Now you've turned it all upside down. I don't like this part. And he was really saying, this is the battle. And I have just done battle for you. I've actually defeated the enemy and I've taken back the keys of the kingdom. And I'm releasing them to you. But that was going to take some time to understand. So they had to trust and go step by step, inch by inch into what God had for them just like you and I have to. So what did they talk about, do you think? They were locked in this room and they were there for a week at least, maybe probably longer. They were afraid. Um, I mean, maybe Thomas went out to get food and he comes back and he goes, boy, I went out and served. You were all chicken. You wouldn't go outside. And he did. And he comes back and he missed it. You ever think God's not fair? I think they talked about what had happened. I think they talked about what had happened as they followed Jesus. I think they, they made sense of something. You remember he said that? Oh, yeah. In three days we were ready. We were thought he was talking about the temple. But he's talking about him. Oh. I think they had all kinds of discussions about what Jesus had been about, what the experience with Jesus had been about before Jesus came in the following week and appeared and Thomas went, oh God, my Lord. And what does that say about God? It just says, Thomas, I haven't abandoned you and, and I've always loved you and I'm not actually angry with you. But why did you leave me here for a week? Because you needed to live with that. You needed to live with your struggle. And maybe in the conversations you had with your brothers and sisters, faith began to rise up more than we know or are told. But maybe faith began to rise up so that when Jesus actually appeared, Thomas was almost there. You see, there's objective truth, which is Jesus either rose from the dead or he didn't. And if he didn't rise, then as Paul says, our faith is foolish. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's the only person in all of, all of religion that has ever appeared after death. It's not in Muhammad, it's not in Buddhism, it's not in no other faith. No other faith talks about a God who is personal, a God who forgives sins, a God who actually has come down to earth, who has suffered with us. So while there are elements of truth, I mean, the people who would say that they've been part of, uh, say, the Buddhist faith or the Islamic faith, where the discipline and the prayers of the people put Christians to shame. In our arrogance, we have a lot to learn from some of the ways people actually, if that's their revelation and that's how they operate, we have a lot to learn. At the end of the day though, Jesus, all the other faiths are trying to get to God through performances and things they're trying to do to please God. It's from the earth up to the heavens. Jesus is the only one who God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. God has come to earth, revealed himself in Jesus. And how do you, there are lots of people who've said they're God. The resurrection is the key. 
If he rose from the dead, then he is like, unlike anyone else who has ever lived. So the thing that has intrigued me and excited me about Christianity from the age of 12, 13, 14, because I was a choir boy from the age of 7 or 8, and I was quite angelic actually in those days, and sang treble solos, and I, you know, people go, oh, isn't he sweet? That was a long time ago since I've heard that. And I was, I was in, I was in the, the, you know, the, the sort of church or the Christian culture in music. But it wasn't in my heart. But I sensed something, even in the music that I sang. And then over my teenage years, I gain, began to go to youth group and I began to hear about this Jesus who loved me and Jesus who was more personal. And I began to explore that and kept on going. And yes, I went because the girls were there. Well, I was terrified of girls. Man, that was terrifying. But God was beginning to woo me. And then what excited me was that you could ask questions. And you could ask questions, say, how could you believe this or why is this? Um, there's one book that was very uh, well documented at the time called uh, Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. And he was, a, he was an English guy who had started to write a book about why you can't believe in Jesus. And in his research, he became compelled with the evidence for the resurrection and he ended up becoming a Christian. And so he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone where he lays down the evidence for why Jesus, it is believable for Jesus to be the resurrected Christ. Just from the evidence, if the disciples stole the body, then why would they go and give their lives for a lie? If the Roman soldiers stole the body, then why would they produce it when they were asked? Because the ones who were guarding the tomb were killed. That's their punishment. If the disciples, if somebody else, if the priests of the, you know, the priests and the high priests had stolen the body, why didn't they present it when the Christians started saying, "Oh, Jesus is arisen"? There's lots of compelling evidence. So one of the things you do is say, I just believe in the resurrection. And you say, well, why do you believe in the resurrection? I mean, it is unbelievable. Well, because I've asked these legal questions and I've read this book and I've, I've, I've sort of done some research and I find it quite compelling. There's enough evidence for me to actually believe on the testimony of what others have researched to the point where my faith now stands on their testimony and my faith is not this jump into the dark. It's actually built on historical fact. It's built on some thinking and evidence and then the testimonies of others. And then finally, the thing that really compels me is that I've experienced something of Jesus in my heart. Now, that's a lot, that's a lot stronger than just I hope it's true. Well, I have this feeling. You see... As we begin to become convicted of who God is and we actually begin to address our doubts and there's lots of room for our doubts, it's like, what is your next doubt or what are you doubting right now? I mean, Carol said it, she just, I didn't, we didn't rehearse this, but it was just, it's, it's easy to springboard of that. When you're saying everything's coming at me because I've just had a diagnosis or my fear of my diagnosis sends me downhill, you've got to peel back. And you, what you do is you peel back and you go, what do I believe? And who do I believe? And why do I believe? And when you're really, really early in your faith, you need to peel back into somebody else. In other words, you need to get together with somebody who's gone through this stuff. And you go, I'm struggling right now. And, help, and they can talk you through it. Say, but. You see, what happens is with doubt, 
is that it just ends you. It, it, if you if you feed doubt without moving forward, doubt will take you down the road and actually take you out of everything God has for you. And just to show you that this is good news, I'll play you a video that you've seen before, but it is well done. It's the but in doubt. It's as spiritual as it gets. If you want to deal with doubt, find out where the but is. What is the question that rises up in you today that God wants to answer? Because he loves your questions. Because when you have a question, you're having a struggle. And when you're having a struggle, he's saying, I'm here for you, just like I was with the disciples. The trouble is that you haven't had a question for me for years. Because when you get a question, all you do is you give yourself a cynical answer and then you live from that place. Or you mind read me and others and then you live from that place. You have to ask questions. And the way to get through doubt is to begin to say, how do I find an answer to this question? And some of them will be, it's a mystery. And some of them will be, I don't need to know the answer because I know the one who gives the answer and that's not a glib thing. I'm just trusting him with that because I understand in my relationship with him there's going to be much that can't get answered. But there's enough for me to live with. So when things go bad and I have doubts, one of the first things I do, as I alluded to earlier, is I start stepping back and say, so what's my alternative? If God isn't God and Jesus isn't who he claimed and there is no resurrection, what's my alternative? And all I ever get back to is me and meaninglessness. All I get back to is meaninglessness. In other words, everything is random. If God is not present and he's not real, then everything is random and nothing has meaning. It's just the survival of the fittest and hoping. And it's very depressing. You see, it's not about I need a crutch. It's just that we're built with a desire. We're, we're built with a... The, the, the old phrase used to be there's a void for... In, there's a God-shaped void in our hearts. We are created for God. And so something will fill that. And so that thing for meaning... Why People, people get into the addictions, whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's anything you like. Addiction is the dark side of faith. Addiction is what tries to fill that void with something in the flesh to help us survive. The trouble is that as it fills us, it it imprisons us. Whereas God says, if you come to me or you who are weak and heavy laden, I will actually sustain you and I will begin to set you free as you walk into that freedom which you have to learn. So I just want to encourage you this morning, as with Thomas, you know, Thomas didn't withdraw and he didn't keep quiet. The courage... I guarantee you probably 95% of the people here right now do not articulate your doubts. That you actually just live with them. Because I just encourage you to get curious. We live in an age now of so much information, of so much possibility of having questions answered, at least to a degree where, for instance, think about why, you know, you're also learning it not only for yourself, but you're learning to, to talk to other people. So, if I can explain why I believe in the resurrection and somebody says, well, you can't believe in that nonsense, then you go, well, Jesus was historical. Well, how do you know that? Well, anybody knows that. 
Jesus actually is historically verifiable. You can go into any history class at university and you will learn that. He actually lived and walked on this earth in the Middle East and is documented. And he lived for, and non-Christians have that documented. His writings and his teachings, well, the, the writings about him, the Bible, has more documentation than any other historical document in the world, bar none. So if you say, well, is the Bible the word of God? And Explore it. Why? Because if it starts giving you some reason to believe in a deeper way, then you're more strong to believe. So when your circumstances are saying nothing's happening, God is not there, you start walking back and saying, wait a minute, if God is not here, then I have no hope. And my hope is built on Jesus appeared, he, he, he lived here, the Bible, I believe, and I read it, and I see lots of people have gone through where I am. So I kind of start talking back to myself so that faith rises up again. So I don't fall back. So I speak to my doubts, and God uses my doubts in order to build my faith. I encourage you, get curious. Encourage you, ask questions. Encourage you to articulate, speak them out like Thomas did. He had the courage to say, I'm not going to believe, just because you do. And God will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet you. Because he loves you. And we all have different kinds of children. They have different kinds of ways of exploring. You respond to them as is their character and personality. So, you can think through doubts, you can also experience God. Um, oh, the whole, whole worship team, just come and stand behind me, please. I want to illustrate something. Because it says here, and this is unrehearsed, that's why they're looking a little pale. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. One of the things Jesus did all the time was he... He helped people experience the power and the presence of God that they could then reflect on. So I, I'm going to ask um, each one of you uh, to, I want you to think of a sickness or a disease and I want you to be, you can't say cancer. I want you to think of something that's just very specific. So, you know, um, just make something up. And I'm just going to ask you to say what it is. And you can't, you Parkinson's. Arthritis. Hopelessness. Sorry? Hopelessness. Fear and doubt. Um, about lungs. Lungs? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember what those were? Say them again, please. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. Big butts. No, no, what did you say before? <laughs> I mean, no, no, this, this is actually important. This is important. So it's important to be, I want, this is important because it needs to be clear. So. Schizophrenia. Parkinson's. What did you say Bad first? memory. Bad memory. Arthritis. Arthritis. Depression. Depression. MS. MS. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Fear and doubt. What? Fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. Uh, clearing of lungs. Clearing of lungs. So what am I doing? I, I'm, I'm saying to them, I want you to have a word of God, a word of knowledge of something that somebody's struggling with here so that he can minister to them. But that sounds very scary. So I just go make something up. 
Because God is so big and so able and so loving towards us, he says, I can use anything. So if any of those conditions is something that you were wrestling with, you can stand up because we're going to pray for them. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to talk. I promise you, this is very, very discreet. What I'm just trying to demonstrate is what we're talking about here. And if you have doubt, that's okay because God doesn't doubt you. You can go to the doctor and go, I doubt you can help me. And he says, I'm so glad you come because I've just seen somebody with your problem this morning. It's not about you. You have enough of a mustard seed of faith to be here today. And the God who the disciples testified to and said he did so many signs and wonders, we didn't put them all in this book. But he used those signs and wonders not because he was, some denominations will say that he was showing his majesty and his identity and it was all about him declaring that he is God. It wasn't. It was about God saying, I love you. And if you're hurting here, then I'm going to come and meet you here. I'm going to speak to this depression in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to say to Satan, who is the source of all depression and sickness, in your name, you are defeated. And I command you to loosen my much-loved son and my much-loved daughter. Jesus is walking by with you. He's standing right in front of you right now. You guys actually can, unless you want to be ministered to, you can, you can and, and do that as well. If you need to be part of this prayer thing, then stand in front. If you don't, we can... Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to minister to each person standing. If you're sitting down and there are people around you, then just place your hand over them and start praying God's blessing. We've already declared that you are worthy because of Him. You're not worthy because you've got a huge anointing. Your anointing is huge because Jesus is in you, but just give it away then. Just give it away. Just bless what God is doing. So Lord, you know each person who's standing and you know why we're standing. We ask you by the power of your Spirit to release healing in the name of Jesus. To speak to depression in the name of Jesus and command it to lift, to be broken into a million pieces. Because it is not truth. And replace depression with hope and peace to anxiety. All anxiety be gone. Be still. I am with you, says the Lord. Do not fear. I have overcome the world. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Speak to diabetes in the name of Jesus. Break its power. Father, may the resurrection blood of Jesus flow through sick bodies here right now. Give transfusions of blood and diseases will melt and diseases will actually be just shriveled up by the power and the presence of Jesus right now. Let, your, let the signs and wonders that accompany your kingdom be released here now in the name of Jesus. Now what happens when we do this? I start going, well I'm not feeling anything, I doubt anything's happening. Don't give authority to that. Give authority to the fact that God says we can ask, seek and knock. He never walks by on the other side. He has already declared his love for you. We're singing a song, yes and amen. Everything we ask in the name of Jesus. So instead of coming to this place right now from a place of I hope God meets me, come to the place of God is meeting me. Whether I feel him or not. We don't know what Thomas felt other than disappointed. And he was rebuked almost because he didn't believe the testimony of his brothers and sisters. And sometimes we don't believe the testimony of our brothers and sisters. So we ask you to forgive us, Lord. 
release in us faith to believe. Arthritis in the name of Jesus, be gone. In the name of Jesus, pain, be gone. Muscles grow strong. Memory grows strong. Minds in the name of Jesus, be renewed. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. What do you receive? Thank you Jesus that you're touching me now. Thank you Jesus that you hear my cry. Thank you Jesus that the one who met Thomas is meeting me right now. Lord, I bring you doubts I have. I bring you the questions I have. I bring you the sense of unfairness I might feel about where my life is. Forgive me for doubting you. Help me make sense of my life right now. Jesus is saying to some of us, I see you. I'm not, I haven't left. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I can walk through walls. I can even walk through the walls of your defenses and reveal myself to you. And I pray that, Father, this morning, that you walk through the walls of some of our defenses that have been up for years because we're scared of risking. We're scared of trusting. We're scared of believing. We've been disappointed. Will you walk through those walls, Jesus, the risen Lord, and just touch us so that we can actually dare to believe, dare to feel, dare to trust. Forgive yourself. In the name of Jesus, forgive yourself. Where you've failed, where you've disappointed. Forgive yourself, because Jesus forgives you. There's no condemnation in Jesus. You see, what we're doing right now is like those disciples. We're just waiting. And we're asking him to take things in our head and move them into our hearts so we can know that we know something. The disciples knew all about Jesus for three years, but when it came to the cross and the resurrection, they were lost. They had to learn something else experientially. So, Father, I open up my heart and I say, Lord, touch me in my heart. That I might know your faithfulness. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for permission to question. We thank you for permission to search. We thank you for permission to doubt. But we thank you, above all, that you come to us in the midst of all of that so that we can grow into certainty again. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If anything was spoken out through the worship team, any of those words, take hold of that. If if it's something you said, yes, that's me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're touching me there. I'm not going to let that define my life. 